Since the days of the first wooden vessels, all shipmasters have had one happy privilege, that of uniting two people in the bonds of matrimony. And so, it is my honor to unite you, Keiko Ishikawa, and you, Miles Edward O'Brien, together in matrimony. There are still many human emotions I do not fully comprehend. Anger, hatred, revenge. But I am not mystified by the desire to be loved or the need for friendship. These are things I do understand. Space, the final frontier. These are the recordings of the podcast, Give Me That Star Trek. It's ongoing mission to explore all of Star Trek, to seek out new guests and new opinions, to boldly go where many have gone before. Welcome to episode 7 of Give Me That Star Trek, a proud member of the Fire and Water Network. I'm your host, Siskoid, and today I'm talking about Star Trek Weddings with my old friend and co-host on both First Strike the Invasion podcast and the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics podcast, Bas Levesque. Hi, Bas. Hey, how's it going? Now, Bas has been married. Yes. And there was a wedding, right? Yes, there okay. was and I have been. Okay. And I, I've been to a fair few, let's, let's say that. And when it comes right down to it, if we're being honest, the various human customs surrounding weddings are, you know, pretty weird. Mm-hmm. We just take them for granted is what it is. We will talk about human weddings, but by contrasting them to the alien weddings we've seen on Star Trek. Vulcan, Klingon, Bajoran, Ferengi, Betazoid, you know, those that are strongly featured on the show. But Bas, before we go any further, you've got to take the quiz every guest takes. I'll do it. I'll right. do it. We have to know where you're coming from. So how did you get into Star Trek? What is your connection to Star Trek? I'm a second generation Trekkie. I wouldn't call myself a full-fledged Trekkie because I have nothing of Star Trek except for a couple movies at home. I don't have Star Trek t-shirts. I don't have a Star Trek uh, memorabilia. But I have watched every episode of Star Trek. I'd say original series, pretty much everything. Uh, next gen, everything, probably twice. I decided to celebrate the 50 years of Star Trek mm-hmm. by rewatching Deep Space Nine. A little bit of uh, of the other ones, but not that much. So that's that's I'm a second generation. My dad's a real Trekkie. He has like you know Starfleet Academy T-shirts and stuff like that. So I he guess has like novels. Yeah, he yeah. Has novels. He has every novel actually. So I've read a couple novels also. So I guess I'm a Trekkie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing I'm a Trekkie. Yeah. But I, I, I always liked, uh, I always liked the the social aspect of Star Trek. How it works, you know, how they interact with aliens. Okay, how their community, not our community. No, not yeah. not, not Trekkies. I'm fine with it. I, I I'm okay with. Um, I I just you know, but how the Star Trek world works and functions and. Basically, that utopia where I'd like us as humans to get to, but you know. Which is your favorite show or version of Star Trek? Oh, that's hard. That's hard because uh, right now I really like Deep Space Nine. I always like uh, the later years of Next Gen. Earlier years, I thought it was very theatrical and and, and slow paced. Uh, later on, it gets a lot more fun. I like the old kitschy side of the original series. It's that's a hard question. That's a hard question. That's 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 like asking which pizza do you like more. I don't know. I like pepperoni, but I always 
you know, I, I like something spicier with hot peppers on it once in a while. So it's it's a hard question. You you've given us something. Which is your favorite character? Oh, but why why <laughs> why do you do this to me? Uh, which is my uh, of all the characters in all the world? In all the world, I'll say Wesley Crusher. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I know, I know. I, I'm not. That's I'm a not. justifiable answer. It is. It is. Um, I'll have to say that I really like Will Riker and I really like Data and I really like the relationship between the two. They're, they're pretty much opposites. And it opposites. starts in the first yeah. episode, yeah. They're pretty much opposites. Will's a, a very uh, emotional guy. You know, he falls quickly for, you know, beautiful ladies. We get that off the bat with him. Uh, you know, he grows a goatee. He's kind of a... Strong sense of humor. Yeah, he's a funny guy. He's, but he can be serious and, you know, and, and there's a lot of emotion there and Data's exactly the opposite i mean there's hardly yeah and there's something to like the, the Riker being his big brother kind of thing yeah there is and there's one you know data looks up to him for emotional context exactly you know? yeah that's interesting yeah yeah and 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 this uh, there's this one episode i, I don't know I'll, i'll let you finish the survey we might, maybe we'll <laughs> talk about an episode because there's this one episode where they try to determine if if data is sentient or not and oh. the measure of a man yeah We've talked about it on this show before. It's, oh man, it's a stand I stand out of like the second season. I think that's where I really got because into Riker it. has to play advocate against Data's rights. Exactly, and he basically when he switches him off, you can see in Will Riker's face he hates doing that. He doesn't like that power, <laughs> and he just yeah, it yeah. gets me every time. No, it's true. It's a powerful episode. Um, let's see where was oh uh, well finally, what is your favorite alien species or culture? Uh, you know what? They're all very entertaining, but I really you've got the cosplay for. Klingons. I, I probably do. <laughs> I, thing is, I really like all of them. My favorite one was the the, the true Beta Z people, the Betazoids. Okay. I always liked when Deanna's mom came around, and she's like overly honest, and she's just whimsical. Yet, you know, they're always in their heads, and they're just outright honest all the time because you can't you can't hide from. You just said something that made me realize something about Luxana Troy, who is a. Problematic character for many fans. Annoying. Um, She is. Yeah. But that Betazoids, because they, they're telepathic and empathic, immediately get everything. Everything. There are no secrets. Even if you're not probing someone's mind, if you can immediately gauge their emotional context, then there's no faking. Exactly. So that her honesty and her how brazen she is and how in your face she is... Comes from that. Psychological. It's cultural. I'd like to see... It's Diana who's really the uptight one. Yeah. Well, yeah, really. As a, you know, a child of two cultures. Yeah, and she kind of respects the human culture where you, you there's a lot of, you know, we're being polite and tactful when you, you, you don't like something. You try to, you know, not start confrontations. I'd really like to see, like, Like a, a Betazoid party where everybody's a Betazoid and just see how that how well that goes. Because, I mean, can you imagine just people being bluntly honest all the time? <laughs> to me, that's funny. But, you know, I, I don't know. I always thought that was kind of funny. And she was always this disruption. Just, she's just like this agent of chaos. Yeah. Just because she was uh, she was just honest. Interesting. I, I don't think I would ever imagine someone would have said Betazoids on this really? question. Well, I, so, uh, I, I like them all. I'm I did stoked. say I, I did say I like them all though. You know, yeah, yeah. I know who I don't like. <laughs> 
<laughs> the Jem'Hadar. I don't like them. I don't like <laughs> Cardassians. I don't. They're, they're snaky. I, don't I think know. my answer would be Cardassians. Oh yeah, love Cardassians. I love the duplicity. Yeah, yeah. No, I can see that. You know, as an alien culture, I'm not saying yeah, you yeah. would be friends with them. No, I mean, that's, that's you know, asking for trouble. Exactly. I mean, you'd get invaded and say, "Yeah, yeah, these guys are cool." Yeah. I like the duality of this. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I like them as a fictional construct. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay, so we've got a context. And also, mm-hmm. there's a reason you're here talking about weddings. It's not just because you're you're my friend who had a wedding. It's, <laughs> and you can honestly talk about it because, you know, it's all over. But, um, <laughs> no, it's because you're a member of the Lonely Hearts yeah. Romance Comics Podcast crew. And this is a romance element it is that we'd like to talk about so it is um think of it as a small crossover between our shows let's talk about human weddings first just set the table about the absurdity of human weddings we're yes. talking about marriage i mean marriage is it's its own thing it's its own thing it's it's a relationship it's something yeah. but a wedding is a ceremony it's you know several elements that we you know often take for granted mm-hmm. western weddings and the western world are often similar the same and the star trek uh, weddings are i must say on the human mold yeah it's, it's like two people someone officiating it's you know yeah. it's very clearly just human weddings with bells and whistles or yeah. different traditions but then again it it kind of leans into the the whole uh, public display thing because you can be in a relationship for a long time 50 years and never be married yeah actually you've had a marriage yeah you're but, married but you never had a wedding right so there's this public display type thing where somebody you need somebody to conduct a ceremony and most of them also finish with a kiss there has to be this public display or this public awareness of these people are together and at the end of the ceremony you need to see two people doing a generally accepted way of showing emotion and love between two people which is kissing so it it always starts with ceremony and ends with a kiss almost all the time all these alien weddings that we see when when they actually go through with it yeah (laughs) they always start with uh somebody you know conducting a ceremony and somebody kissing you had a traditional uh, yeah western world wedding yes very much so what was the most absurd thing to you living through it uh (laughs) well this is this is a weird thing (laughs) i Everything was weird because um, I was already living with my girlfriend. Right. Uh, As many people do. Yeah. Now. We, we were already doing what we were. You were already would. married. Yeah. We've been together longer unmarried than married. Oh. I know. I think that's a very common tale, though. So, you know, I'm, I don't I don't feel like it's a, it's a weird thing. I will say, before we even start talking about my wedding, <laughs> that I have a great relationship with my ex-wife. Sure. We have a beautiful son together. Yes. Uh, we're great friends. None of this will sound like I'm bitter or what's... Because I did have fun at my own wedding. <laughs> <laughs> it was very fun. I enjoyed it. But, uh, you know, all the preparation... Uh, there's a lot of protocol with everything because it's a it's a ceremony, and we had this uh, basic Catholic ceremony. You know, I didn't really bother, but I I did go through the hoops. Uh, you know, you have to meet with the people who will marry you. This in this case was you know the priest, and yeah. you had to talk about it. And we had little quizzes, not as fun as this one. Uh, but you know, little quizzes for you know. I'm just asked. Un- <laughs> I know. What is your favorite alien culture? And you know, it might have prevented the whole thing. <laughs> but you know, uh, it's it's to see your intentions and yeah. if uh, you're true and you're and you throw this big party, this big public party for you know both houses or families you want to call them because i like to call them bigger than families because i had a lot of friends i had more friends there than family i had close family a lot of friends a lot more family on my wife's side we had this ceremony where 
priest, you know, made us read things and, and we, we said vows, which were beautiful. And we went with the traditional vows. We didn't write our own vows. We exchanged uh, rings, which symbolized the union of our souls. Why these have to be gold, I don't know. But uh, once again, I was poor. Uh, <laughs> but and then uh, we kiss in front of people. All this on you know in front of priest and everybody and everybody cheers and and that's so that. And, was, then, and then we have a party. But you're right. There's a lot of pageantry. One of my eye-opening experiences, wedding-wise, was uh, on the same weekend. I had two friends who were getting married. Okay. In uh, Montreal. So I went to Montreal, and since I'm going to be there, I'm going to go to both weddings. And, you know, as you should, free food. True, and some excellent ones. But one of my friends was getting married Western style. Okay. Cowboys. And <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> no, 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 you know the traditional, the big wedding. Okay. Where okay. He was a med student. He was marrying another med student. She was from a family of doctors. It's like okay, this, this is a huge a royal wedding. Royal wedding, you know, symphony orchestra players. Oh my god, that's beautiful. Um, you know, a lot of pageantry. Yeah. And so, it, like, it's it's a spectacle. It's in like the hugest church. The reception afterwards, it's all sumptuous. So I'm used to this. The next day is an Indian wedding. Oh my! So I had a friend from school who married this Indian guy. And this, is, this is great. I've only seen these things in movies. When you look at it, there are a lot more. It's a lot more traditional, where they're throwing incense and different elements into a small fire, uh, and you know, and they're they're making they're circling together and the, the, just the. The dress and the the jewels and the eyebrows and uh-huh. it's all happening on some sort of like four post like okay. a dais and, and that's like really a lot of traditions a lot of the pageantry is in the look of it but the attitude of the guests the guests at the western wedding we're sitting down we're watching a show yeah we're in church it's um it's religious but it's it's very much a uh, it's it's a show with music. Yeah. You're witnessing and, something, and you know poetry readings, and yeah. At the Indian wedding, the minister, whatever. I, we don't. I don't know it. the culture well enough. So, but the, the minister goes on to the stage, and he brings out this um, this plastic grocery bag, and he takes out the stuff he's going to need to throw in the fire. So, just like what what is it? And while they're circling the fire and throwing stuff in there and doing the things and saying the words you've got the like the the guests are just standing around like they got up from their seats and they're standing around and they're talking and they're almost like lighting up cigarettes while this is happening so they're not, not they're not looking at the wedding huh. the wedding has to happen these traditions have to be followed but it's not part of a spectacle okay we are there to witness it but we don't need to keep quiet it was very very strange and you've even got like the the, the minister started saying words so he had this little sermon or speech about weddings and marriages and what it means. And he was going on a bit long. Okay. It's so like the mother of the groom who was standing behind the dais because that, I mean, it's a four-poster, it's like a four-poster bed without the mattress. Okay. So you can see behind it. So they're behind the scenes doing stuff and talking amongst themselves in the back. So when he, he's, so it's, you would never do this in a uh, Western wedding where it is a show and you wouldn't see the behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. Now you're seeing it. The back wall is transparent. And uh, she thought the minister was going on a bit long. It was a bit boring. <laughs> so she walks up to him and says, you move it along. <laughs> really? And he goes, okay. And then he takes the stuff out of his grocery bag and he starts a ceremony. And to me, that seemed truer. Well, it is. What it is. Like, we're, we have these traditions, these religious traditions, and they must be obeyed. But it's not a show. It's not for show. That's, yeah, that's yeah. what was my, the, the, my takeaway. It's not for show. 
It's something we have to do. Yeah. Whereas the the Catholic wedding seemed all for show. Oh yeah, it's a it's a show. It's a big show. I mean, things have to be done, but everything is a show. From the wedding dress to you know how you're gonna kiss at the end, everything is a show in the in the Catholic Western type thing. So comparing the two, one seemed very fake to me. Okay, well, yeah, which well. did not mean that the love between and that couple is still together, and the uh, the other the, the the Indian marriage couple are not. Yeah, yeah. So, no. you know, it's, it has nothing to do with their marriage, but the wedding itself, one seemed, you know, fake and fabricated, and the other one seemed like it would be happening even if, even if no one was here. It was, yeah. you know, this is just something that happens. So, this, this is how we get married in one culture, and the other one right. is... But it also shows how they're very, very different cultures, yeah. attitudes, but also the look of it. So even these Star Trek marriages, or weddings, are not... There's no such thing as a human wedding. Exactly. There, there's a lot of variety across. Exactly. We can only assume that... If you marry oh. into the house of Duras, who the <laughs> hell knows what happens? Exactly. It doesn't have to be... Exactly. So you need to assume that everybody, every culture or every alien race has a multitude of different types of weddings. Right. Well, depending if it's a invasion type theory, uh, like in our other podcast where uh, the invaders, they're all the same, basically. Right. And, and they look at Earth as being something so wild with all types of stuff. I think very often in science fiction, that's what we see. And that's, I think that's what we see in well, uh, in Star Trek. It's a lot easier doing that. But once we explore any given culture in Star Trek, you start to see divisions. And yeah. a lot of the Star Trek narrative is about a revolution happening in uh, an alien culture. So like the Ferengi are homogenous, uh, but... We've come to find out in Deep Space Nine, there are traditionalists and then there are progressists. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's like a feminist revolution happening and all of this stuff is in the background and then comes to the forefront because we're watching the show and it yeah. makes things happen. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, like Vulcans seem all the same when all you know is Spock. But once you meet a number of Vulcans, you start to see their divisions and yeah. different attitudes. and They can't all be the same. And and this is what's fun with, uh, with weddings. We kind of see that in every... I watched a bunch of episodes for this, and we kind of see all these little things in all the uh, all the episodes. All right. It's really great. Let's look at some of these alien weddings. Starting with the first one, chronologically, the first one we saw, the Vulcan wedding. This is our place of Kunat Kalifi. He described it to me as meaning marriage or challenge. In the distant past, Vulcans killed to win their mates. I call it a Vulcan wedding, but it's uh, the Kunut Khalifi, which is more of a mating ritual. Yeah. But it is sort of a wedding. Um, and uh, the, from Amok Time, like the first episode of the second yeah, season of exactly. the original it, series. And they kind of catch us off guard because all of a sudden, Spock is emotional, throws stuff at people, yeah. and he's he seems enraged. For he's, nothing. he's got he, that super puberty. He's got that super... And he already looks like 40 years old. You're asking well, why. Well, they get it every seven years? Yeah, something like the that. The Ponfar, so... Yeah. So he gets that mating impulse. Yeah. Has to go back to Vulcan. And it's very shameful for him because he's ashamed of even showing these emotions that all Vulcans show every seven years. Or revealing it to outsiders. Well, it seems like a very personal affair. Yeah, I, I imagine if your whole culture is about repressing emotions, yeah. then those bouts of when you break out in uh, pimples every yeah. seven years, or the equivalent, you know, you're ashamed of that. Exactly. It makes you act contrary to your normal person. So what do we think of the, what did you think of, obviously it's a ritual combat. He's yeah. in the Ponfar. He has a ritual combat with someone to the death. 
If he survives, uh, then he gets to marry the chick. To pring. To pring, in this case. To pring. And it's just like the arranged marriage. So they've got arranged marriages because they don't have emotions. It can't be based on love. So who cares, right? Right. So it's just a good match. As long as it's logical. A good match, yeah. Skills and ages and yeah. interests and, you know, complementary features. And then, uh, like, there's affected to death, and uh, whoever wins uh, gets to marry her. That's, that's <laughs> exactly what it is. What did you think of that? You know, that, that was kind of fun because there was this incredible contrast. Because we always see Vulcans as being more evolved because of their suppression of their emotions, right? So we always see them as being very logical, very smart, etc. And this, the, the Kunid Khalifi, is very ancient. You know, they, they have this weird... Arena, outdoor yeah, arena, yeah. Stonehenge. Kind of weird stone thing. And, you know, you, that's not what you expect from, you know, Vulcan. You don't think that they still chisel stone, you know. They're, they're advanced. We don't chisel stone. You know, it's very ancient. They use uh, weird rituals where you have this gong. You have to ring with a rubber mallet. And it's really weird. But it's, once again, it always seems like like this weird protocol. You have to do these things. Uh, this weird ceremony that you don't really need to understand. You just know it's ceremonial. So he just does it. I think in the Vulcan culture, uh, the ladies have a lot of, uh, I'd say, power. Because uh, the lady, Tapao, she seemed uh, to like... No, the other one. Tapao... Oh, no, you mean... Okay, the, is, is the, the lady, officiating officer. She's officiating, yeah, exactly. Because she's an, not an ancient, but she's like top of the... She's like the matriarch of the I don't family know. or something. I, so uh, the only thing I knew about Tapao was their hit from 1989. <laughs> And she explains everything, how, you know, you have to fight to the death and T'Pring will choose somebody if she right. she does not accept to marry. And I don't know, we don't really know what happens if she just accepts to be with... I think there's no fight if... Um, well, he if, still has this rage. What do they... Did they just, I think they mate. They mate right then and there? Yeah, I think it's like... Um, I think this is a, it's their animal nature, right? That comes to the forefront. They're so they just emotion. go at it. Yeah, lizard brain. There's a need to mate, yeah. and you're preventing me from mating, and that creates the fight. Yeah, well, if, the, if I'm know. not prevented from mating, then I mate. We we can we can relate to that. We've been you know <laughs> but, teenagers. That's basically what you know. That's an alien yeah. version of puberty. Yeah, exactly. And then the twist, right? There's this twist where she chooses Captain Kirk to Instead fight. Instead of the yeah, she doesn't want to. Yeah. She doesn't want to um, put the actual guy she wants in danger. Yeah, I, I didn't remember the guy's name because he was just Stan. Something like that. It's yeah. just, I called him generic Vulcan. Yeah, I don't know. I would have been happy with Spock. He was a lot better, but you know, uh, he's never home. I think that's, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. Starfleet and, officer and, and half breed. I think there's probably a stigma there. <laughs> probably for them, is for them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But she said something like that. Uh, at the end, when she she he asks her because he comes down from this hormone filled rage and he's coming down and he asks her why why'd you choose somebody else or why didn't you choose me and you're known you're basically a celebrity now and you're never here and I don't and, and I kind of want him for no particular reason I want this guy he's kind of taller <laughs> he has uh, you know wider he's shoulders taller. <laughs> he is taller he just. <laughs> hair is worse though he does not have nice hair not starfleet typical yeah. nice hair but you know and then she explains why why she chose kirk and it was the only way she could win so she explains it really logically and of course the answer is logical of course 
because uh, that's yeah, he how he appreciates they... her um, her problem solving. Yeah, but um, I also but at the same time he just he harshes on her because I love the sass. After a time, you may find that having is not so pleasing a thing after all as wanting. Well, he sasses the guy. He yeah. is Spawn or whatever his name is. <laughs> the, they all start with an yeah, S, yeah. and every lady starts with a T. But uh, you know, I was kind of sad though, because. Uh, you know, to bring she was cute yeah. she was very cute smart as well yeah but devious yeah, devious a little bit devious and we kind of see that we, we always see the only Vulcan we ever see is Spock and we think every Vulcan is like Spock or his dad we see his dad a lot also and his dad is basically older Spock seeing two uh, Vulcans, you know, being attracted to one another, uh, and and this is uh, Tepring and and the other guy. It, it kind of felt weird because there's no logical reason why she would be attracted. Maybe to Maybe we're him. just not told. Maybe it's none of our business, but it's not uh, a Spock's business. Well, it, it kind of sounds like you know I got to know this guy and you're always gone, so I you know I know this guy. Yeah. We talk a little bit. Oh, and... I'm sure it's intellectual. Maybe. But this is one of the weddings, if it is, if we can call it a wedding, and if we can assume that Spring gets married uh-huh. through these actions, that this, like, this is a marriage that doesn't really have uh, the old ceremony with the kiss at the end, or that's one of the ones that's different. Yeah. If that's how it really works. Yeah. Because if there wasn't a fight, I wonder what happens. Does Tapao just go, uh... Let's go. Yeah, there's, there's the hut. There's the hut, or the... Do it. Maybe they just go at it. Maybe and maybe it's a celebration of their, you know, animal nature. And and that's fine inside that context, yeah. right? Well, it probably creates I think they create the conditions if two males are in Ponfar yeah. and then bing bing bing, they have to fight. Yeah. They get the woman. But I, I think it's like every seven years you are drawn back to Vulcan or your mating grounds to basically have a child. So it forces it creates that marriage through a union. Yeah. I, I would be very, very, very interested to find out how the whole uh, Sarek Amanda wedding went, and apparently, well, there it's already been announced that uh, there will be a young Sarek in okay. Um, Discovery. Okay. No word if there's a young Amanda, but was this Ponfar come into it? How do you marry a, a human woman yeah. in that culture? How does that happen? Not just emotionally, but then is there a Ponfar thing? Is there a ceremony thing? Is that uh, is that your only choice? Mm-hmm. That you would have, and you know the just what happens, and it doesn't seem like in a mock time, it doesn't seem like anyone but Spock is in Ponfar. Tapring is not in in any kind of Ponfar situation. No. Everybody's calm. And Stan's calm as well. So is it just like if the one person gets into Ponfar, it's got to happen. First one that Ponfar initiates the wedding ceremony. There's a lot we don't know about the Vulcans. But one thing is for sure, uh, when we see that last image. And you see the the city in the in the background, mm-hmm. and you can see this is a this is an advanced civilization. They have the city is large and beautiful skyscrapers, sure. stuff like that. And this thing, this ancient ceremonial place where people congregate, it's a ways out of the city, as if it's to be hidden from the rest of. It's not done in the city. It's done outside, and it's probably semi frowned upon, or we understand that's what's going on. But there's not a lot of people, which is a lot different from basic human Catholic weddings where you know, there's a lot of people just looking at you. Uh, and the church is the center of town. Exactly. But we do have this kind of weird ceremony where two people come together. If you have the marriage, you still have a kiss, quote unquote, but it would be, you know, mating. It still always ends with a kiss. You know, there's still this 
action of showing love or, or affection or animal instinct, I don't know, yeah. towards one another. Yeah. I think biologically it ensures the survival of the species because without yeah. without attraction, without emotional attraction, it might just never happen. It might, exactly. gives them the, a reason, an uncontrollable reason to procreate. Yeah. Let's move on to your uh, favorite uh, species, your favorite <laughs> culture, uh, the Betazoid. Well, we don't know much about them. No, but uh, the Betazoid wedding was something that we keep not seeing. Yeah. Because everyone, including the guests, must be naked. So we, yeah. we first hear of it in um, TNG's first season in Haven. All guests must go unclothed. It honors the act of love being celebrated. <coughs> no, you needn't worry too much, dear. Your body's not that bad. Besides... Your husband quite likes the idea of seeing me unclothed. They've also got arranged marriages, and Diana has this arranged marriage she was hoping to get out of. <laughs> well, yeah, because... I don't I, you oh, know. Oh, my God, the guy's so boring. Oh, my, yeah. But and, so is and, she, you know? Well, no, she's not. She, I always like Diana. But, of course, I'm, I'm biased because I like the Betazoids. Mm-hmm. But the Naked Wedding has always fascinated me because it's, it's still... And, and and for us, naked wedding would be. And for some people, it's like, ooh, I'd see everything. And it's in their culture, they're completely open. They're always right. honest. So so being naked literally is just the next step to being honest, you know, figuratively or in thought and in emotions. So that would just be like full honesty, full on honesty. If yeah. everybody's naked. Riker and uh, Troy do get married in the last TNG film, mm-hmm. Nemesis, but we don't see, we just see the reception. But obviously, all those people were there. Yeah. But the one where we almost see it uh, is uh, and not a great episode, but I thought a, an episode that did redeem a couple of annoying characters for me. A cost of living. In cost of yeah. living. The danger plot is just on cruise control. It's just nanites, the parasites eating the Enterprise. It's almost a side story. It's really on the background. Just uh, it's, There are two stories. Yeah. Worf trying to raise Alexander, yeah. who is a freaking annoying kid yeah. in that show, but this kind of redeems him as a character. And Luxana Troy, another annoying character. And An- she... annoy- annoying older character. Yeah, and they come together, the yeah. two annoying characters, and... And there's a lot of annoying stuff in this. Oh, in, in the this holodeck episode. stuff is the terrible. holodeck stuff is is Willy Wonka on acid. <laughs> and you thought Willy Wonka was kind of weird. This is weird. Yeah, and I mean it's the bubble face thing. Uh, I, I don't even know what it is. It's kind of a you know it's supposed to the higher the lower oh, the... mud bath. But regardless, it humanizes them. it humanizes them. Yeah, and the reason that Luxana's there is because she's getting married to uh-huh. this Minister Campio from this super repressed. <laughs> culture uh, and she met him online basically yep. it's just like these shared profiles on uh, plenty of fish and it's exactly what it is <laughs> it's exactly that and uh she wants to have the wedding on uh, on the enterprise because um she wants uh john luke picard to give her away he'd be delighted <laughs> to do it yeah. but um i just love that little scene where will Riker tells him i will not have that woman continuing to use this ship for her convenience simply because her daughter happens to be one of my officers Apparently, Deanna being on board is only part of the reason. The other reason being, she thinks the honor of giving away the bride should fall on you. Permission for an onboard wedding is granted, number one. Nothing will please me more than to give away Mrs. Troy. 
and Will has this this little smirk all the time. Uh, He's just looking at him just to see the reaction. He's grinning through it. <laughs> that's yeah. funny. Yeah, and that was almost his mother-in-law. I know, and eventually was. Yeah. yeah. So that you know, he knows full well what what this is. Oh yeah. Yeah, he has a lot of fun with it. For the older character, for Loxana, it's about compromise. At her age, it's not her first marriage, not even her second. Uh, she uh, she's settling for this yeah. basically. And they're not a good match. They're not. Her and Campio. I mean, he's from a culture that, you know, he's got a protocol master with him. Yeah, who's basically a chaperone for everything he does. And he can't, you know, they can't even address each other in the familiar. So it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And she's having this whatever culture wedding. She's not having a Betazoid wedding. She's compromised to that point. And at the end, she does show up naked to the the wedding. (laughs) Good on her. (laughs) Yeah. Good on her. And then it just doesn't happen. The runaway is <laughs> basically what it is, but she was doing it on her own terms. I always like having Loxana Troy uh, in an episode because she's also the voice of the ship. So I just like hearing her talk. And then I imagine, you know, she's doing also the ship. So that's fine. <laughs> I just like that. She's, she's both. She's she's both. Yeah, she's been in three characters. So, Betazoid Weddings. I think it's a celebration of honesty. It's It's being completely naked, completely honest. You can't bring anything else than yourself to this ceremony. It's really basically the, I'd say, the other end of the spectrum compared to uh, ours. Because everything's a show. You still have a show. You have to dress up. You have to, yeah, you have to dress up. You have to dress up. This is the opposite. Yeah, I think that's why there's such, there's this this huge clash when you talk about a Betazoid wedding. Humans are, they don't know how to handle that. Emotionally and, and, you know, even in, in their heads. I mean, they can't, they, they just don't understand it. But it's about being completely honest. And uh, that's, that's, I think that's the attraction of the Betazoid wedding. I like your uh, analysis of it. Another naked wedding is the Ferengi. And uh, we yeah. don't see a Ferengi wedding. Well, it's not the same thing, though. <laughs> but no. And, uh, but uh, we do see, a, we see a Bajoran Ferengi yeah. match in Ram and Lita on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. I'll they call got... them the Beauty and the Beast. That was the most pathetic excuse for a wedding ceremony I've ever seen. No bridal auction, no Latinum dances, and the bride, the bride was severely overdressed. They got married in Call to Arms just before the Cardassian Dominion Alliance. Oh my God! Season uh, finale of season five. That yeah. was epic. Yeah, we can talk about Ferengi and Bajoran customs. What little we see of the Bajoran wedding is that um, normally probably a Vedek would officiate. They take the the, the emissary. Yeah. Um, if you got access to the emissary, and he, he seemed glad to do it. Uh, and uh, he read. It looks like a very much like a human wedding. Yeah. The book is. Different. I mean, you yeah. can see it's like a Bajoran scroll type. Yeah. It's not explained, but he wears like... It's like he has to have his hand inside some sort of mitten. Yeah. It, it like seems a hand, like, a like a ceremonial glove or something. Yeah. Either a glove or a little you know, a towel. It's like a ceremonial towel. Maybe it's they not can't, explained. They, maybe they can't touch the scroll with their hands maybe? if it's okay, sacred. That makes sense. You know, something like that. Um, but between Ram and Lita, I think we hear a lot more about the Ferengi. Uh, yeah. Although, yeah. although there is this exchange of a uh, drink. Oh, yeah, yeah. They have this yeah. bowl, this shallow bowl where they exchange a drink. Right. I don't know how your wedding was, but then I've seen in Catholic weddings, sometimes yeah. they, they do the uh, the candles. Yeah. They put uh, like two candles and then they light together, they light a third candle and the, yeah. two, the, the two lights become one. It's the same idea where yeah. you, or the rings, It's I guess it's the rings. Yeah, but it, it also kind of symbolizes uh, how 
you'll always be there to feed one another, okay, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and, and probably for both. a refugee culture that that's probably much older as a tradition, but uh, we think of the Bajorans as these perpetual refugees of the 40 years of occupation by the Cardassians. Yep. Uh, they're freedom fighters slash terrorists. That's what they've become. Yeah. And people feeding each other. That's an important thing. Works. Yeah. In that it's an important thing, but it, it can also be uh, symbolic. Feeding the love, feeding uh, the attention, uh, making sure the other one's okay. You know, it's mm-hmm. more, mm-hmm. it can be symbolic. Uh, and it does boil down to the origin of the kiss. They do kiss at the end, though. But uh, kissing by a lot of people, we think it comes from feeding one another. Right. That's why our mouths... Like birds. Touch. Yeah. That's, we, don't, we don't rub Back ears. when we were birds. Back when we were birds. <laughs> and some birds still do it because they like it. Some birds. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we used to do that. You know, before we had prepared foods or blenders, uh, a lot of moms would do that. In French, we'd call them uh, des béquets. Uh, the mom would, would uh, chew the food a little bit, then give some to the baby. Okay. Uh, my grandma did that. Her mom did that. Worked fine. And that exchange of, of drink or food is still sim- symbolic of that exchange and that care for one another. Interesting. And one of the things that I do think uh, resonates with the Bajoran culture, and one of the things I like about the Bajoran culture uh, on the show, is the idea that it's a mixed marriage, but they do have a Bajoran wedding. Obviously, Ferengi tradition is heinous by our standards. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's very misogynistic. <laughs> of course, they're not going to show us a Ferengi wedding. That would, But women in the Bajoran culture are really the, the ones that wear the pants in the family, yeah. compared to... The, uh, the traditional, well, compared to the Ferengi for sure, and compared to traditional yeah. uh, Western family values that you know we often associate with, and that's all very outdated yeah. to me today. But a lot of families follow that pattern yeah. because the women are, you know, the women are the fighters. Yeah, they are. Roll Aaron, Kira Norris. And, that, that, and even Lita in this. That's why we like them. Yeah, even Lita in this was like just you know a flighty Davo girl, kind of dumb. Um, or played that way. Yeah. Uh, sex object, that's her job. Her job is to be uh, pretty around the uh, double wheel. Even her, she's the one, she's the forceful one. Yeah. She's the one that makes decisions. And I think that's that's what the male-female relationship is on Bejor. And when you look at milksops like uh, Vedek Baral or um, <laughs> Sh- even Shakar, who was like a rebel leader, I think these guys have way less... Yeah, uh, intensity. Then um, they do not have testosterone. The Pope, the Kai, is I don't think it's not necessarily traditionally a, a woman because they do consider men for the job. But the ones we get to know, Apaka and Win, evil women. Win, are women and much more forceful in their personalities than any Bajoran male that we get to meet. So it makes sense in the culture yeah. that this would be a Bajoran wedding. That would, this would follow their traditions first and foremost. Yeah, even if. Lita is kind of, uh, she's probably not as, you know, yeah. but then again, Rom, he's kind of a soft Ferengi. Yeah. But I don't think a strong Ferengi could have gotten with a Bajoran woman. Strong Ferengi would never, well, uh, then again, probably would be attracted though. Because Quark is always game for anything, I, yeah. I think. But we, we did get to see a lot of, uh, we, we didn't get to see it, but we heard through Quark these things that come in the Ferengi wedding. And, and these are awful. Oh, my God. Um, you know, really? You have an option? Possibly of the uh, bride's 
goods. Probably. You know, like the family's goods, like the um, like the hope chest kind yeah. of idea, you know? Latinum dances is the <laughs> other thing he mentions. <laughs> and as uh, Quark says uh, of this Bajoran wedding, and the bride was severely overdressed uh, because they would have... Oh, all their females are naked in any naked case. Naked all the time. Yeah. Well, we, we kind of learned that through uh, Quark's mom. Yeah, who she, is, uh, you know, yeah. goes against the grain. Uh, and you know, and who is progressist? Yeah. yeah and so it, they change the culture. Her yeah. and Ram change yeah. the culture eventually, probably create a schism, uh, like two cultures. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, um, it's about lab dances. It's about uh, male gratification. All the and time. it's about selling the bride. So that maybe there's a ceremonial auctioning off. Yeah, auctioning off of the bride so that you you're going to marry that person. You've chosen mm -hmm. that person. So, okay, you're going to win the auction, but other people bid ceremonially until you hit the right bid. Although it's also possible that they don't choose mates. No, they, they just they, buy them. They buy them off the block. Like we don't, slaves. We don't know, so we, we, we could assume that yeah. that's a possibility. I think that's uh, the early Ferengi that we saw in TNG, for example, that were all villains. You would believe that of their culture. Yeah. I think Ram and Quark and his family, and we meet very different Ferengi on Deep Space Nine. It humanizes them. We, yeah. It's like not everyone is the same. We can't just... We're, they're going to be a recurring character. They're going to be regulars on the show. So you can't really have them like they were in TNG. Because yeah. in TNG, they were the just the villainous alien that we saw a couple times. Right. You don't really build the characters and stuff like that. But it, it, it still leads us to believe that, you know, Quark, although he is traditionalist, um, something happened. They, he, they were raised, he and Rom were basically raised the same way. And I think that Rom is, you know, uh, the one who maybe respects women more and understands uh, that they don't hold the truth on how to interact with the other sex. So he's more adapted for working on a space station with a lot of people. But Quark, although he is the better businessman, is kind of uh, odd in a social context. Well, actually, they do confront that. You know, the, yeah. there are episodes about that on the show where he, everybody thinks, you know, Quark's been assimilated. <laughs> you're, you're not a true Ferengi, and uh, why don't you just embrace it? And he refuses to do yeah, so. Yeah, because he's yeah. a traditionalist, I guess. Yeah, he, well, he wants so much to be like a pure Ferengi, but really he's not. Ram isn't really the black sheep of the family. Not his family. He's a black sheep of yeah. the Ferengi world. But his family is actually that. The dad was a bad businessman. Um, the, the mother was actually the one that with the head for business. So basically he's Michael J. Fox in Family Ties. He's the... the remember that show? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was like the conservative yeah. suit-wearing guy, and his parents were hippies. Yeah, he's basically he's that. basically that because yeah, the whole thing was that Quark was basically his mother. Yeah, but would never admit to that. And Rom was basically his father, like no head for business whatsoever, like the worst yeah. Ferengi in the world. But he went into another branch, yeah. did something else with his life, where his, fa his father did like like Quark is doing. I've got to run a business. I've got to be a successful Ferengi. So and it, it's interesting. We would never have gotten a Ferengi. No wedding, uh, nor do I think it's a Ferengi marriage. <laughs> no. You know, it's well. I, I don't think if you own your bride that it's really you know a marriage. It's basically although just... they, I mean, is that any really any different? I mean, culturally for them, not necessarily too different from an arranged marriage, where somebody didn't have a, really a choice. Yeah, and they yeah. come to create a a marriage out of it. I, I don't think the like um, uh, Mugi. 
Cork and Rom's mother, I don't think she did not love their father. You know, it's, yeah. it's hard to say they're it, being treated as property, but... Stockholm Syndrome? Maybe. 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 Or, or maybe not. Maybe not. We don't really know. We don't we, agree with the Ferengi. We don't, <laughs> we don't agree with the Ferengi. We don't agree. The traditional Ferengi way. But, you know, I, I'm down with Rom. He's nervous about his wife. He huh? obviously loves her. She's not a, a possession yeah. for him. Because as soon as that wedding is over, he sends her away <laughs> to uh, protect her from... To uh, be safe, yeah. Yeah. He didn't buy cattle there. He married to a woman yeah. he loves and he wants to protect. So a uh, big high five to Rom there. And But, you know, she, she didn't want to go. Yeah. One which... episode I didn't have time to watch, I noticed too late, uh, was that Cisco did marry Cassidy Yates in a traditional Bergeron wedding. But two humans... Partaking in other in other cultures, although by that time he's adopted it as his own. Yeah. So we do see that the bowls thing again, I think. Yeah. Uh, but it's not even again. It's uh, the officiating office. The the officer is like admiral or whatever doing it instead of uh, necessarily a Bajoran priest. Huh. I guess normally it would have been you're stuck with Kai Win. I guess. <laughs> you know I who guess. can marry the emissary? It's got to be the Pope. It has to be. You know, so that was wind. So that would have been gross. Yeah. And the emissary can't marry himself, I guess. <laughs> hey, cats. How do you do that? That's why That's why the Pope can't get married. Who's going to marry him? <laughs> All right. The Piazza Resistance. The Klingon Wedding. With fire and steel did the gods forge the Klingon heart. So fiercely did it beat, so loud was the sound, that the gods cried out, On this day we have brought forth the strongest heart in all the heavens. None can stand before it without trembling at its strength. But then the Klingon heart weakened, its steady rhythm faltered, and the gods said, Why have you weakened so? We have made you the strongest in all of creation. And the heart said, I am alone. And the gods knew that they had erred, so they went back to their forge and brought forth another heart. But the second heart beat stronger than the first was jealous of its power. Fortunately, the second heart was tempered by wisdom. If we join together, no force can stop us. And when the two hearts began to beat together, they filled the heavens with a terrible sound. For the first time, the gods knew fear. They tried to flee, but it was too late. The Klingon hearts destroyed the gods who created them and turned the heavens to ashes. To this very day, no one can oppose the beating of two Klingon hearts. Worf, son of Morg, does your heart beat only for this woman? Yes. And will you swear to join with her and stand with her against all who oppose you? I swear. Jadzia, daughter of Kayla, 
does your heart beat only for this man? Yes. And do you swear to join with him and stand with him against all who would oppose you? I swear. Then let all present here today know that this man and this woman are married. We see a lot of this. Worf marries Jadzia Dax yeah. in uh, an episode called You Are Cordially Invited. Season 6, episode 7, it's right after they take back the station. So yeah. there's like a six-episode break where the Dominion and the Cardassians run the show. And then, you know, they win back the station. They've come back. And it's, um, to me, a hilarious episode. It is very funny. <laughs> it's a great break from the war storyline. We so we see the what a Klingon wedding might be like, and we got some clues before, and yeah. they really did a good job of tying in elements that were said uh, across all the shows. And apparently, Worf is Bridezilla. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> you know, he's, it's he's, his. He's planning the wedding. Yeah, and he's very traditional. He likes everything traditional. He wants everything perfect, and Jadzia, not that much. <laughs> She's she's too old for this yeah. crap. She's been married many times yeah. in other lives. So at, at the same time, it, it creates a context for her not caring that it's yeah. a Klingon wedding. She does like that culture. Yeah. And she's had traditional Trill weddings. So, yeah, why not? You know, yeah. variety is a spice of life for, for Trill. They have to amass as much experience as possible for yeah. the worm. So it makes sense that, fine, let's do the traditional thing. But at the same time, she's an undisciplined, wild character she really doesn't care <laughs> she but I, I think she's one of those people and it's a uh, we like to compare human and and alien and and this is one of those where you have two aliens once again mm-hmm. but they're basically acting like most humans do unless well, one you're... was raised by humans yeah and, but, but... and the trill are you know, humanish well you know when you have these people like in my case my wedding. I'm not really. You were pri- raised by humans. I was raised okay, by yeah. well, partially. My mom's human. I don't. I'm not really sure about my dad. The jury's still out on that one. You know, I'm not a traditional Catholic type guy. You know, I understand things and I, but I don't practice. But my my wife at the time, she was. You know, it was her idea. She wanted that. Uh, that wouldn't have been my choice. I would have. Probably. I think a lot of people do it simply, even if they, they're not practicing, they do it because their families yeah. are practicing. You're doing it for mom, you're doing it for grandma, you're and, doing it for... And you know what? For my belief, from my belief standpoint, if I do it like she liked to do it, it doesn't bother me at all. Because, you know, it's if it's important to her, because it's not important to me. So, and I had nothing to fall back on. It's not like we were competing for something that right. was important for... No. We're doing a Klingon wedding. So, exactly. So, <laughs> I was like, yeah, go ahead. I was Jadzia in my right. wedding, and she was more of the wharf. Even to this day, personality-wise, I think that's... Yeah, I think it fits. <laughs> I think I'm part, I'm part Krill. I think I have that worm inside. Nobody told me. But yeah, yeah. So, it's basically that. So, I could I could relate to Jadzia in this episode 100%. And it's not just the wedding. It's the whole ritual leading to the wedding. Yeah, yeah. They, we it's see huge. a lot of the bachelor party, bachelorette, yeah, whatever. Well, actually, it relates to what you were saying at the front of the show. Uh, Jadzia is going through the marriage courses. You know, the, the when you go yeah. talk to the priest, or uh, sometimes there's like experts. Yeah, uh, and you talk about what it is to be married, and so she's doing that with um, Bartok's wife. Yeah. And uh, the lady Martok is uh, oh she's a pill oh she's a battle axe she's, she's a, a real she's a tough one to swallow I'll tell you that and in their culture apparently 
everybody's in a family. So Worf has, by this point, been taken uh, into the house of Mo- uh, of uh, Martok. Mm-hmm. Because obviously he's the son of Moog, so he's in the house of Moog. But, you know, Klingon troubles. Yeah. So <laughs> now he's in the house of Martok, and that makes him like uh, an adopted son yeah. or brother. And the Lady Martok has to approve any marriage between a member of the house and a member of another house. Or... I, I remember the Klingon women being strong, strong-willed, strong-headed, and warrior types also. But this lady, <laughs> oh my God, she was she was above and beyond hard. Yeah. Well, she doesn't... Um, I mean, the Federation is very inclusive, right? That's what... Well, yeah. That's the whole point. But the other cultures, the independent cultures, are very homogenous, as we said. Yeah. And uh, even culturally. So an outsider could be trouble. And um, you're coming around to the ideal, you know, they're yeah. the idic and all that, just because it exists and is successful in their universe, in their part of space. I think, you know, it's one of the lesson of the Federation is that it starts to bleed into other cultures. Yeah. And as we humanize them on the show, they become more and more like the Federation. It's a weird melting pot thing. I, I, I don't know how much, how positive that is, you know, for real. We embrace those values, and mm-hmm. then we're happy the Ferengi are embracing those values. But at the same time, the Prime Directive says we shouldn't be influencing other cultures. So, well, whatever. That's a debate for another show. But in you, this... You're not, I, I think by influencing, they probably lean towards more imposing. I mean, if a culture... The other cultures. Yeah, if, if a culture comes into the Federation and looks at what's going on and goes, Oh my lord, this is a great idea, then that would be self imposed just adapt yeah. that to their sure. own culture and that would be just you know you don't you can't go around you know you can't go on romulus but and it's, say, it's hey. not like no world in star trek is a uh, is an island no be- it's like the real world the uh, american revolution happened because the french revolution happened and, yeah you know you're inspiring others and Absolutely. um you know getting help from them eventually these things happen yeah in this case uh, the, the klingons are allies with the federation mm-hmm. but you know, I think they're still very much closed in on themselves. Well, they haven't been allies for that long. So the Lady Martok is very much of her culture. Yeah. And she must approve. I mean, and she does. The climax of the show uh, is that Jadzia screws everything up. Yeah. Uh, she, she, well, I say that and I don't know because yeah. she stands up to this woman. She demonstrates Klingon temper. Yeah, she's there. insolent. She, no, she punched that lady yeah, in the face. Yeah, eventually. But she pulled a knife. So, <laughs> at the end. But even during the process, yeah. you know, recite my entire history, the history of all the women of my house. And it's like, well, interesting you should say that because your history is bogus. Yeah. And I did some research and, you know, so it's, it's she's, by that point, she's very aggressive. Yeah, she is. And attacking her mother-in-law, more or less. If, yeah, if, if yeah. We, you know, The head of house. The head of house. So... You know, she's asking for trouble, but at the same time, isn't that a quality the Klingons respect? I guess it is. It, to my to my mind, I was thinking, well, when she goes, uh, oh, sorry, you know, if she bows down and says, I'm sorry, my lady, that's a sign of weakness. It is. And the Klingons would go, she would be less respected. So this whole time when she stands up to, to that woman, is that the test? Is she actually succeeding? And you it's, know, hard, it's hard to say because she passed. She did pass. She passed. But she but. passed after she was told to go and bow down and show respect and ask forgiveness. And we don't see that scene. We do not. 
So does she go back? Does she show the ritual respect? Like a ritual respect? We don't know. And then know. The, the woman says, well, you've proven yourself. And then you you're you have like that Klingon heart, which is very important to them. Very often they play it, especially Worf and Jadzia, they play it where a Klingon is... You, you can call yourself a Klingon. There's a, a brotherhood there where... Well, yeah, yeah. If you, you show, if you demonstrate those traits then you can call yourself a Klingon and a brother to a Klingon. So I think that's... Well, Will Riker of, became a Klingon right, exactly. by eating gah, right? Exactly. So, but, you know, uh, the Klingon heart is very important. And, and that's why, I think that's why it's brilliant. We never saw that scene because we don't know what happened behind closed doors. We don't know if uh, Jadzia just came into the room and said, you know what, lady ma'am, I understand your need for being dominant, but I'm not with that. So can we get out of here and say everything's cool? Can we go on with this? We don't know. We don't know. So yeah. I like to think that's what happened. Yeah, I would imagine she she would have gone in and said, I believe I've proven myself. I want to marry this man. Yeah. And you're not going to stand my way. That's what I like to think. But the, the wedding ceremony was great. Very Klingon-y. Well, Although, before we get to that, okay, yeah. there's the bachelor party. Oh, yeah, bachelor party. Because on the other side, obviously Martok is going to be part of the equation. Yeah, of course. And then he chooses his three friends to be... Uh, and then Alexander, and Alexander. Alexander's there as sword bearer, uh, like the ring, A- ring Alexander, bearer. Alexander does not improve in... Uh, he's still annoying. Yeah, he's, but he's, he's the worst possible Klingon. He's the worst possible Klingon. So he's Klingon. a klutz and he's, he's, you know, it's like... Uh, he passes out, sight of blood. He's terrible. <laughs> and and then there's Bashir and O'Brien who are hilarious. They and, are. And uh, Cisco, And they're going to go to the bachelor party and they think it's going to be this wild Klingon party, but it's about, (laughs) (laughs) it's about strength, about suffering. It's about, it's about, well, there are five trials. Yes. I, I I took them down. Oh yeah. Of the, what it's Kual Haya. The Kual Haya. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a journey. It's a symbolic journey and it, for them it's four days. Yeah. uh, Which, yeah, it's kind of short. Well, I realize it's kind of short. It's symbolic. It's symbolic. Yeah. No, but usually it's longer, I think. And uh, because they fast for four days and yeah. then Martok says, uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit short, but you know, we, we have to do this before Alexander gets back on his ship and leaves. Exactly. So the first, there are four, six steps, uh, five, six steps, right? There's deprivation, blood, pain, sacrifice, anguish, and then death. <laughs> six steps to the way to... Um, to to yeah. prosper in marriage. <laughs> yeah and then there's like jokes like you know Bashir's going it sounds like a marriage all right yeah and, uh, how would you know and then they're also told that at the end of the wedding ceremony they get to attack Worf, Worf. yeah with clubs these these funky clubs <laughs> and it's a symbol because when and I think they're the in whole it. of Klingon tradition is based on what the hell KLS did yeah so KLS married this this woman and at the end of that ceremony they were attacked yeah so then there's a ceremonial attack that must yeah. happen and uh the whole for them Kalhaya was just about wanting to kill Worf you know bring them <laughs> to the point where they would actually put everything into that attack which we don't actually see we, we don't see, see we just see we just him just rushing in now oh no now just wait now <laughs> And they're padded clubs, yeah. so they're not going to kill them. No, but they'll probably hit pretty hard. <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, that is funny. So, and, and I mean, and they have all these trials where they have to hang on top of burning stuff, and yeah. they're being basically roasted alive. It's wonderful. 
It is wonderful. But then the, the wedding itself, it eventually happens. You know, uh-huh. well, it's any, like any wedding story. It's like jitters, and there's a yeah. It's, it's a rom com yeah. format where it falls apart, and then they get back together. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's pushing them together to realize why they are, and then it, so they're all dressed probably like KLS and um, and his wife and his wife or boob window everything boob window, which is I didn't know how to react oh. to that. Yeah, because I'm used to seeing. Well, I'm used to seeing. You know, Klingon ladies, if they have a... a they have cle- the, like the, I, the evil sisters. I know, they have the cleavage. Lursa and Bator. They have the cleavage window. Yeah. We get, I get it. But you never look at the... the <laughs> I never really looked at the, the cleavage window. I just, I'm always scared of them. Um, but, you know, Jadzia, she's she's more my type. So, you know, I was like, ooh, what, why? Ooh, well, this is nice. But it, she, I mean, she's a strong lady. She She showed a little bit of muscle in that... In that show, also, you know, she had pipes. So, uh, yeah, it, it felt kind of weird, but it was it was fine. Like that was a ceremony I liked, where they tell a story, and we'd heard there's like a throwaway line, I think, in TNG somewhere, where they talk about the different religions uh-huh. of you know of the, the different cultures and species, and somebody says, and the you know that the Klingons killed their gods. We don't ever know what that means until this point. Where it's about the gods forged the Klingon heart. And mm-hmm. so they make it part of that ceremony. It's Adam and Eve. The Klingon heart is beating. It's strong. They think, you know, they, they've made something good. And then the heart grows weaker in, in the story. The heart grows weaker. And then why are you weakening? And so I'm alone. So Adam and Eve. Yeah. They create the two hearts. And the two hearts are so powerful. And then the thunderous sound of the two hearts, the thunder kills the gods. And yeah. then they're replaced by... This warrior culture, this warrior species. The whole wedding ceremony is about that? That was great. I, I really loved the way they, they took this warrior thing and made it poetic and even romantic. They all exist in the same space, right? Romance and, and love and warrior-like spirit. They can all they can all live in the same vessel. But we, we, we don't usually see them together. And I think that... And, and I mean, Klingons have been uh, developing as a, as a culture... Even outside of Star Trek, right? right? So, so the Klingon culture kind of, you know, grows and and kind of lives by itself. And I thought that was really really nice how it was really purely Klingon. This this there's whole, even a, a battleless fight. Yeah, there's a there's a ceremonial fight there. Well, that's why there's a sword bearer. Yeah. And and they use the traditional uh, the battleless. Well, isn't isn't that like a, a traditional uh, from the house of Mog or from? It's used all over because there's like the sword of Kales is okay. also a battleless with spikes on it. Well, I like to think I'm, nobody nobody really said anything, but I like to think that's you know linked directly to you know the house or or your preference or I'd like to think that uh, you know different. Klingons would have different weapons there. Yeah, I think you could like the Duras often use like swords. Or... But still, it's it's still just a, a reproduction or, or or recreating that battle full of passion in them. Yeah, yeah because of... when the two hearts meet, first they fight, and then they realize that they're the same. After the female defeats the male, right? It's it's Jadzia who ends up with the the sword under War's throat. Yeah, which but I don't think audiences would have liked the opposite. I mean. It's, yeah, you yeah. you never want to get to the point where it seems abusive to the, yeah, that's, that's to the true. woman because that's that's a human concern, it's yes. a human culture concern. Uh, but um, it's a fight, and then they come together, 
and then they kill their gods. Yeah. And then they're together, and then people attack them. <laughs> so there's like it's wonderful. There's many moments of violence in the um, in the Klingon ceremony. But but that's part of their culture, though. You know, to us, the humans looking in, uh, it's very violent. To them, it's ceremonial. You know, it's nobody's really getting killed, and there's no real bloodshed, and yeah. we have bludgeoning, you know, padded bludgeoning things. And, and I think that, we love these characters enough that it it, fe- it seems sweet in this context. I think it is. I think it is. I you know, uh, any it's the same story. It's the same poem. It's the same energy the same uh i'd like to say moral at the end where you know you need two to have a strong heart and you know to kill the gods and it's still the same poem it's still the same so no matter who's there getting married i mean Worf looks good for a klingon and jetsy is beautiful that's for sure and but that's my human bias i'm used to being you know sitting in a room looking at beautiful people you know getting married so that's just my bias but these guys, uh, any Klingon would be wonderful in that ceremony, I think. Which yeah. one would you actually... Okay, you're having a Star Trek wedding. Oh, I'd go with a Klingon wedding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd go with a Klingon wedding because I like. I just Maybe love Maybe not that. the bachelor party. Oh, no, I'd do oh, the yeah, bachelor party. I'd do the whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing. I, I'd get beaten up by padded bludgeoning weapons. Uh, but even the Klingons. Uh, have a little kiss at the end there so yeah. that's always a thing but i i'd go with the klingon wedding because of that that it's not just a, a part of history and folklore and uh it's, it's probably the same thing in you know catholic weddings or you know any religious weddings there's probably this side but the sci-fi type warrior lover you know strong couple them against gods i mean you can't you can't go it's the, you can't go any bigger than that yeah, it's really epic. I, I think mean, it'd be more iconic than other weddings yeah. that we've mentioned. They actually featured it more and yeah. gave it a lot more resonance. The only one that got as much love is uh, the Vulcan one, and nobody wants to do that one. Nobody wants to do <laughs> that one. Nobody wants to do that one. The idea that a couple would be strong enough to kill gods, that's that's beautiful. Love that. Well, Bass, uh, I've got to... Um, beam you off to uh, where wherever you want to go really just set the coordinates but before you go and i get into the uh subspace transmissions uh where can people find you on these uh internets i'm part of the lonely hearts romance comic podcast which uh where we talk about romance comics and romance in comics so you can find me there with uh with fern and marty and ciscoid and i'm also uh part of the invasion podcast or first strike the invasion podcast so we cover invasion the crossover from 1988 every tie-in every issue that has the little invasion logo on it we read it we review it and we talk about it so catch us there yeah it's all on the fire and water network where you can also leave your comments about this episode what is your favorite alien wedding you know tradition from star trek uh, how do you feel about these? And uh, you can go on the fireandwaterpodcast.com, which is the site for the uh, for all our programming. And uh, or else, you know, there's a Facebook page and uh, on Twitter. Please leave the use the hashtag fwpodcasts. Thank you, Bass. Thanks. Ha, 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 ha.
the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, in which four guys talk about romance comics and about romances in comics with Siskoid. We're all uh, French Canadians here. Marty! In horror comics, there's often like this little, you know, <laughs> romance tinge, I guess. Okay. Bass! We oh, just yeah. turned on him! <laughs> and yours truly, Fern. I'm very aroused. Featuring the overproduced wonder that is Romance Comics Theater every episode. Dan, I knew it couldn't last from the first day you eyeballed me when I reported to work. It wouldn't matter if I washed in laundry soap and came to work in a burlap sack. I'd turn you on. And you have the same effect on me. I... I do? The Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, available on iTunes. We've had a comic book romance. Stop it, listen! Stop it, listen to me! Listen! Listen to me! They're not human! Everyone! They're here already! November 4th, 1988. Earth is invaded by an alien alliance composed of several species, including the Dominators, the Kuns, the Danigarians, and the Durlins. And they want our superheroes. Even though Australia has been decimated, the United Nations response is unequivocal. Drop dead. First Strike, the Invasion Podcast, takes you back to that moment in time and covers the entire Invasion DC Comics crossover. Issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes. First Strike, the Invasion Podcast. A proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Melbourne. Incoming subspace transmissions. First, Star Trek news. A few short news items this month. Uh, first, if you've been following the disappointing saga of just when Star Trek Discovery will come out, it's now been pushed back to late or early fall. I don't know about you, but uh, if I'd signed up for a CBS All Access in anticipation of the new show, I'd be pretty ticked off right now. Uh, a leaked on-set photo has given us a peek at the show's Klingons, and it looks like they're all bald with the forehead ridges going all the way to the back of the skull. They look like draconians to me, if, if you'll allow the mixed metaphor. If you've been pledging money to Indiegogo for the crowdfunded DS9 documentary, uh, which is called What We Left Behind, it's achieved its second stretch goal, which means the writer's room part of the documentary, which features the show's writers pitching an eighth season of Deep Space Nine, has been extended and an original orchestral score will be produced for the film. If it makes its third stretch goal, more cast interviews will be filmed. And now some listener feedback on our previous episode, which had me and Chris Franklin essentially trying to redeem Star Trek V The Final Frontier. Uh, on Facebook, Nicholas Prom says the cheapest looking, most poorly executed film of the series, but boy does it have some great thematic things going for it with arguably some of the most poignant Kirk Bones-Spock interactions up to that point. Gene Hendricks says, no, Siskoid, you don't have to do uh, the motion picture with me, which was something we floated, unless you really want a debate. Instead, you could just point people to the episode that Scott Gardner and I did for the 35th anniversary. And that's right. Just uh, find it at twotruefreaks.com under the Hammer Strikes podcast. Mark McGee says, thanks for the great episode about a not-so-great episode. My favorite memory about this film was seeing the trailer for the first time in a theater back in 89, coming off the heels of the crowd-pleasing four. The audiences were wound up when this came on screen, and there was a hearty laugh and applause when Scotty hit his head on the bulkhead and when Chekhov says, warp speed now. The trailer is still pretty enjoyable. And on fireandwaterpodcast.com, Rob Kelly says, while I still think Trek 5 is a terrible movie, I take no pleasure in its badness. 
It was just so wrong-headed, in almost every way, and having it come after the triumph of four just makes it hurt all the more. I wish the movie was better, I want it to be better. Every few years I would give it a rewatch to see how it aged, and the answer was always, not well. But it's also true that the, this movie had a lot of things going against it that cannot be blamed on the filmmakers. David S. Gutierrez says, interestingly enough, Star Trek V was relegated to an imaginary story in the autobiography of James T. Kirk. It was a movie based on Enterprise Crew's adventures. Well, that's one way to do it. I remember seeing Karate Kid 3 and Star Trek V at, at the same discount theater on the same day. It was a painful day. Well, at least you, it was discount, right? Neil P. says, great podcast. I'm one of those rare Star Trek fans who also sees a lot of redeemable qualities in Star Trek V, and I think you touched on quite a few of them. One plot hole that you didn't discuss, however, was the rescue mission on the planet of peace. We know the, the Enterprise crew cannot use the transporter because it's not working, but Cybok does not know that. He must be aware that starships have transporters, yet he does nothing to somehow shield his hostages from potentially being beamed up. It's one of those situations where the transporter has to be out of order, otherwise Kirk would just beam the hostages up and warp out of there, end of movie. The writers could have at least had Cyborg come up with some sort of force field to disrupt the transporter's function. With regard to Chris's comment about the length of Cyborg's hair, I remember reading that the location shooting was done at the beginning of principal photography and the scenes where they confront the god character were shot in studio at the end of principal photography. It's possible the hairdressers were different from location to studio or they simply goofed on how his hair was supposed to look. Dishwater Danny says, every time I hear that Chris is going to be featured on a show, I say to myself, we're going to get an impersonation this time and I immediately figured he was. we were going to hear him do his William Shatner, but we got him doing Bones instead. And it was great. Shag says, uh, I agree that the character interaction is what works in this film. Kirk, Bones, and Spock are fantastic. I also says reusing the Star Trek Next Generation corridors was an awful idea I could tell in the theater immediately. And you really should have spent more time ripping on the fan dance. That scene is uncomfortably unwatchable. Ugh. I, I'll let Chris respond here. He says, uh, I had the fan dance in my notes, but we moved past the discussion. Plus, I honestly felt bad about bringing it up, just because of my respect and admiration for Nichelle Nichols. As a teenager, I found that scene very cringeworthy. But as I've gotten older and closer to Nichols' age at the time, although I'm still ways off, it's bothered me less and less. Plus, I think society is now viewing older women as being sexy up into later years, which in 1989 was not the common thought. To my mind, the scene reads better now than it did back then, but your mileage or warpage may very long live the fan dance. I agree with these with this sentiment. And then Shag says, uh, Captain Chris, thanks for the response. I guess my concern was not so much of her age. Uh, she's still very attractive in Star Trek V. It's more about the scene's place in the film. The characters are planning a raid, and some someone suggests, Ahura, why don't you strip naked right here? What? She's a freaking Starfleet officer. Incredibly sexist. Poorly timed, and really didn't seem logical in the film. Poor Nichelle, and yes, she's hot. Uh, and then Chris uh, answers, ah, gotcha, I was going by the actor's ages, and it tied into my questioning if Kirk was up to his old type of fisticuffs by this point, and I don't think any young ladies were waiting to see Shatner shirtless to flip the coin. But I do agree, Nichelle was very attractive in the film, I like the gray in her hair. As for in the story, you gotta figure, Kirk was the strategist here. Kirk probably knew these guys were hornier than hell, so he figured what a better distraction. It does seem very sexist and dismissive, but it's Kirk. Mark Baker writes as uh, the novelization attempts to plug a couple of the plot holes. 
uh, with varying results. For example, in the movie, the Great Barrier turns out to not be any kind of barrier at all. They just fly right in with barely a comet. In the book, there's some detail about Cyborg having worked out calculations to reconfigure Enterprise shields and allow safe passage. The book even has the Klingons copy these so they can follow. I appreciate Chris's thoughts about Cyborg's mind-controlling ability. The book actually emphasizes that it's mind-control without going further. I actually don't think he's intentionally controlling anyone's minds. Indeed, I think he's being duped himself. Although I grant that the movie's not terribly clear on this point. So, here's my theory, cobbled together from various sources not all mentioned here. Spock notes that Cyborg is exceptionally gifted, and he certainly did explore his telepathic powers in ways other Vulcans would never have considered uh, even trying. Through these powers, I posit that Cyborg discovered the God Entity via long-distance telepathy, uh, perhaps without even being fully aware of it. I think that the Entity then responded, again, perhaps even without Cyborg's knowledge. Thus, while I wouldn't say Cyborg was being controlled by the Entity, he was certainly being nudged in a direction the Entity desires, thus explaining Cyborg's drive to read Shakari and going with the novel, his ability to get through the barrier. Similarly, while Cyborg intends nothing more than what he says to free people from their pain and honestly expects such gratitude from those he's helped that their subsequent support seems to be the most natural thing in the world to him. The fact is that they too have been nudged by Cyborg, and through him, by the entity, into joining the mission to Shakari. Sounds good. Oddly enough, he continues, although this movie ranks pretty low on my list of favorite Star Trek movies, I have more of its merchandise than for all other movies combined. My craft marshmallow dispenser and communicator walkie-talkies remain a valued part of my collection, if of only value to me. Oh, we're all jealous, Mark. Uh, and uh, finally, let's end on some Facebook likes and shares from Abel Padilla, Andrew Leyland, Chris Franklin, Clinton Robinson of Coffee and Comics, David A. Gutierrez, David Foster, David Winston Edwards, D. Bash, Derek M. Koch, Gene Hendricks, Give Me Those Star Wars, H. Daniel Rebolt, Jared West, Jared Albrecht, John Trumbull, Lee Novak, who says, What Does God Need with a Podcast? Longbox Crusade, Mark Lax, Mark McGee, Martin Gray, Matthias McBride, Max Romero, Mike Zumo, Nick- Nicholas Brom, Ruth Sutherland, Shag Matthew, Sean Strawbridge, Stephen Bird, Supermates Podcast, Terence Castonguay, Thomas Fovey, Thomas Burdinsky, and Van Z. On Googles, we got a plus from Netflixed. On Twitter, we got retweets and favorites from Coffin Comics, Daniel R. Budnick, David Ace Gutierrez, Dr. G, Man of Nerdology, Firestorm Fan, Michael, Rhett, who also asks, what does God need with a podcast? Rolled Spine Podcast, Trekonomics, Trekbot, we welcome our robot overlords, and Zoom, you can worry. Thank you all. That's how the message of the show gets around. We'll be back in a month. Join the conversation over at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on the Fire and Water Facebook page. If you're going to leave a tweet on Twitter, please use the hashtag FWPodcasts. Until next time, go boldly. of Martok, my daughter. Now, Doctor!